All right, hello. Uh, I am so excited for this one. I'm probably gonna say that every time. Um, but <laughs> I get to talk to Jesse today and nerd out about some human design, which we do anyway. So I think that's why I'm so excited about this one. Um, and then for people who are watching the video, we're both coming from our environments. She's caves and she's got a very cave setup going on. I'm Valley's Narrow and I am totally in my closet and I love it. So we I figured love that. why not? Just let's just be in our environment. <laughs> I love that. Two projectors just locking into each other in their correct environment. What could oh, be better? <laughs> not much, man. Not much. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, when I was thinking back of how I'd introduce you, I was like, man, we met about a year ago, which was so yeah, crazy. Yeah, it was almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, and we were going to do a thing with another coach, mm -hmm. and then it just kind of fizzled out. We stopped talking for a bit, and then all of a sudden, we just started talking. I can't even really remember how it happened, and then we've just been nerding out on human design together. It's like we both re-entered the human design world mm -hmm. in a deep way at the same time. So it's been yeah. really cool. Yeah. And I have to say too, that happens that way, that kind of serendipitous way for me so often being a fourth line, like I will get introduced to somebody through somebody else. And then it's like that, uh, that person who introduced us will like fall away or whatever it was that was holding that bond together you know, it's just like no longer aligned. And then that other person that they introduced me to, it's like, we end up having a connection. And so it's so funny to, to think about that with us about how we were introduced by somebody else. And then the project we were working on with him didn't work out, but then we stayed friends. Um, yeah, very much a network thing. <laughs> it is okay. So I'm always so fascinated. Well, I'm fascinated by all aspects of human design. Uh, but this fourth line, because I don't have much fourth line in my chart. Mm -hmm. And so I love hearing about people's actual lived experience, which is a lot of this podcast, right? So tell me more about how this network thing works for people. Yeah, I think this was something that really confused me in the beginning because when I first learned about human design, the information that was out there about the fourth line was a lot about it was a lot about networking and it was like fourth lines are friendly and they're here to make connections and to bond with people. And it's not that that's necessarily not true. It's just that actually the way that we form our network is through externalizing. So it's actually the more, the more prominent keyword or keynote for the fourth line is externalization. It's not even like networking isn't really even truly the focus. It's just that the network forms around you as a natural byproduct of externalizing whatever it is is your truth so i think of like the one line the two line and the three line as the very personal processes that you have to get you know your personal wisdom it's like the first line we know is the investigator and is always like studying the world around it in order to develop a foundation of safety and then the two line is like the opposite of the one it's like the one who's not here to investigate the one who's just the natural at certain mm -hmm. things and then the three is like let's take what we learned from the one and the two and mix it together and experiment with it and come up with our own subjective version of 
how to make things work. And then the fourth line is really that first next step where it's like, okay, now we need to get what we learned out into the world. So fourth lines, it's like we learned something and we just have to get it out. We have to share. It's like always sharing. And mm -hmm. I found that when I focus more on just like learning what it is that I love to learn and sharing it, I naturally meet the people who are aligned for me. Um, but yeah, it is, it's kind of a funny thing because we're really dependent on the network. We feel really cut off from the world and from opportunities if we don't have it. But yet if we're overly focused on the actual networking aspect, we can get really burnt out as well because we're not, we're also not here for strangers. That's the other mm. irony is. <laughs> I love the irony is in the human design chart. It always cracks me up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the ironies and the paradoxes remind us that this really isn't for our mind anyway. Yes, yes. You know? It's I like, I don't, I don't have to mentally think about being a fourth line or being an opportunist. It just is who I am when I am correct or when I'm living in alignment with myself. Okay, so what you just said right there about how you don't have to think about being a fourth line, it's just what happens when you're living correctly. This is what I love so much about talking to you, honestly, <laughs> because um, so, you know, I've got, I'm the one three mental projector. So all I've got is my Ajna in my throat. And then you're the splenic projector. So you have your spleen and your root. And, and, but we both have these seven undefined centers. And so that makes so much sense coming from you. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I just embody this and then I become this. It's great. But then like my system, when you said, I don't have to think about it, but how, how do you not think mm -hmm. about it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because That's I mean, true. mental projector, one line, fear, motivation. I'm like, I don't understand how you just embody it. That's <laughs> but, very true. Yeah. That's a very clear distinction because you have a lot of energy to think. <laughs> That's I true. Don't. Yes. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Oh man, part of me was to be like, what's that like? Oh my God, <laughs> I don't understand. But so this is something that I just love so much though, because I know for me, from my perspective and from growing up and all the stories I've created, right, is I would think, oh, well, I think too much. There must be something wrong mm -hmm. with me because I can't embody it in the way that Jesse does. Oh, look, Jesse's externalizing. Maybe that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And I would just keep finding all these other things and so with my design though I can I can now look back and observe and just really enjoy watching your chart come to life mm -hmm. and say wow cool Jesse's externalizing that's really cool and <laughs> that's something I wrote down that I really wanted to explore more because when you were recently externalizing an experience with a healthcare provider and you got on and you were just so honest and talked us through it and then afterwards it was like a few minutes later you come back on and your energy had shifted so much and you were like I'm not worried about it anymore I know it'll be fine and and you explained you know I'm just externalizing this thing because I know that's what I need to do mm -hmm. and I could see the shift and since I'm a mental projector with the soundboarding authority I thought interesting that interesting because there's a little bit like soundboarding mm -hmm. that whole process so I was just curious like the nuance between externalizing and soundboarding mm -hmm. like if you had any thoughts on that yeah to me when I externalize it's not 
it, it's not that I'm trying to make a decision. Like, it's just, I'm just going through something and I'm sharing it. But what's funny is that the opportunities come through externalization. So you can almost think of it mm. as like, I'm not soundboarding to decide. I'm, I'm externalizing in order to get invitations in a way. Mm. So it's like, the so I externalize something and then opportunities come to me through my network and then my spleen says yes or no to it. So while I was sharing all of that about my experience, I actually received so, so much good feedback and guidance from people in the network. And then as they were sharing the, their different experiences with me, uh, my spleen was jumping in and saying, yeah, I feel good to try this or no, I don't. <laughs> or this isn't, or at least this isn't the right timing for it, right? Because the spleen mm -hmm. only knows right now what is healthy for me. That doesn't mean that in a day, in a week, in a month, in five years that, you know, that will change. Right. Um, yeah. So, so it's very, yeah, you're right. There is a similar element to it, but it's all in like the nuance. Whereas like, I feel like for you, it'd almost be like you take the opposite, uh, it'd be like the opposite route, like you being a first line with fear and motivation, you would be doing all of your like research and investigation into like all the different healing modalities that you might want to do. And then you would go soundboard. So it's almost like it's the opposite process for us. Yes. Yes. No, you're so right. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how that happens. Cause I will, I'll look at a bunch of different things and then I'll just need to talk about it and uh it's interesting the shift that happens i think that's the thing that got me is seeing your shift mm -hmm. in in your energy and in how you were showing up in the video and that's when i was like okay it's it's just so funny like the nuance of it yeah it's um, funny what our minds will convince us is the actual problem right it's like mm -hmm. human design is a is a really good way to begin to decipher all these different sensations that we have in our body. You know, it, it pairs really well with a lot of somatic experiencing type uh, type techniques. And so it's like these feelings start coming up and then our mind is like, I'm anxious because of X, Y, and Z. But then, you know, something else happens like it, from from that experience that we're talking about, it's like, I got this mental anxiety and I thought it was about this health related stuff that I was experiencing. But in hindsight, I realized that it was actually just my roots, adrenal pressure, pushing me to go externalize. And that was all it was. And then as soon as I did that, the pressure was gone. My adrenaline was able to go down. My anxiety went down and then ironically i got kind of what i needed anyway because my network reached out and supported me so it's just funny it's funny witnessing it because before i found human design i made up all these stories about why i was experiencing certain things only to realize that i didn't necessarily have to make those stories and that the story was actually perpetuating and keeping me from just sitting with the feeling and letting my body do its thing. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's, uh, so that 
gosh, you explained things so beautifully. Um, <laughs> so I learned about the whole story aspect. I remember um, a few years ago before I learned human design, but just through therapy and different things I did because of one lining. And it, it's something that I understood, but the way you explained it, like through human design, uh, it's, that's what helps me make more sense of the stories. Cause we all do that. It's a human thing. Mm-hmm. It's what we do. Yeah. It's what we're here to do. So it, like, there's Our no mind judgment will probably for it. never stop making up a story. Never, never. And like, no matter how much you decondition the, the not self voice of some of that, those centers are going to come out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, being able to identify it, I think is so huge and the way you sit with it. And we're not taught to sit with our feelings very much. Mm-mm. It's like, no, that's a feeling bad. And I even hear people Uh, like just today I was doing a reading and she would say something like you know well I know it's just a story so I need to move on it's like hold on we're gonna sit with it for a minute because Mm -hmm. it's there for a reason Mm -hmm. and so I love how you're able to move it to your root and sit with it and say okay well what's actually happening what's being communicated here Mm -hmm. and that's the beautiful thing being able to love yourself in these processes and so I'm curious though with this root center because you were talking about how you were feeling this anxiety and you realized it was just the root center communicating to you and you have a very defined root center mm-hmm. yep. so um, I I do not and so I experienced <laughs> this anxiety like I can relate to what you're saying about the anxiety of the root center um, but I'm just curious how it's I was going to say how it's different for you with the defined but I know we can't mm-hmm. really compare um because I guess I, when I see a defined root center, I always wonder if they feel as anxious or like as in a hurry because, you yeah. know, they teach us that that's not true. Like you have consistent access to it. And so with it undefined, I would feel more pressure and anxiety. Yeah. So for you, is it just more of a guidance then? Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, technically, uh, like human design source material would say that fear lives in the spleen and anxiety actually lives in the Ajna. Mm -hmm. So I use the word anxiety, but truthfully, I I would guess that my experience, like my experience of anxiety would be very different from your experience of anxiety and your defined Ajna, for example, like when your Ajna is churning over something Mm. would be very different than when my root just has a lot of adrenaline built up. I would imagine that would feel very different for us. But of course, we cannot, I, I will never expe- truly experience what it's like to have a defined Ajna. And you will never truly experience what it's like to have a defined root, even though, you know, we experience transits and all that sort of stuff. But my mom put it so well when I was in elementary school. She used to tell all of my teachers, um, there's no way that you can put more pressure on Jessie than she already puts on herself. <laughs> And so because my root is so defined, I relate to having a lot of pressure built up, but I don't really experience, you know, other people pressuring me. And in fact, (laughs) I get mentally very annoyed when other people try to like pressure me into doing something on their timeline because it's just not going to happen. And the root center is interesting because it has zero awareness you know, and technically there's only three awareness centers, right? Like there's the Mm -hmm. spleen, the Ajna and the solar plexus are like the awareness centers. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can even think about the sacral. It knows when it's satisfied or not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the heart knows what it wants or what it wants. The G center has its preferences. So it's like, 
there's all these different flavors to the other centers and the root is literally just pure energy it has like no stake in the game as far as what it wants what it's what's going to bring it pleasure like really its only goal is to use its energy towards the other centers and because i have a root to spleen connection a lot of the pressure that i feel is directed towards health towards uh not even just like my own health but also because my channel is collective it's like what's going to be healthy for the collective and so i experience a lot of like drive i also have gate 54 so mm -hmm. i experience a lot of drive um but really it's fascinating the more that i get deeper into this process i will watch my body just do stuff and i realize how much my timing is just dictated literally towards when my body decides to get up and move um interesting and to me that's very like that's very much a root center thing it has its, the defined root has its own timing that makes sense okay. and it's like i can be very very slow very slow like <laughs> slow like molasses or i can be very very fast it really just depends it just depends on to, what the root's saying I, I i used to joke like back when i used to be a runner i used to joke with one of my coaches i'm like if i'm not running i'm sitting <laughs> It's like, I have two speeds. It's stationary and fast. And go. And that's, that's a pure splenic being for you. We can be very fast, but, but if we have that root grounding it down, we can also be very slow. <laughs> that makes so much sense. And the way you explained it with the pressure and like compared it to the Ajna, it's like it helped solidify the idea for me because, yeah. It, and I realized it's like the root is the motor to your authority and then mm -hmm. like my ajna is the motor to my authority essentially in my throat and so yeah, it's just interesting little word pictures that I got yeah I almost it's it's funny when we start to, when you like really start to dive into all these different aspects of the chart like yeah the spleen is technically my authority but there have been times when I feel like my spleen doesn't give me a clear answer but my root will step in and save me it'll like it'll be like my spleen hasn't given me like a clear yes or no but my root is like you're not getting off the couch for that so <laughs> <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's Tell me more about the splenic authority because that's one I'm always intrigued by as well. And I'm always very careful when I explain it to splenic authorities in a session because I don't know, I find it a little mysterious. Yeah, it is mysterious. It is a little bit elusive. I think people think that it's one of the easier authorities because in theory, we have spontaneous clarity mm -hmm. and those who have the more of the authority types that need to wait for clarity sometimes can feel envy of like oh so you have you know you have your clarity right now and it's like 
Well, no, because the spleen is also very quiet. And so what I found, especially in the beginning, was that I had to be very weary of making especially important decisions when I was around an emotional emotionally defined person or if there was like emotionally defined defining transits that were going on because the solar plexus is a lot louder than the spleen yes the sacral is also a lot louder than the spleen so like if I was around a um a sacral being and like they were excited about something then I would think that I was excited about it too and it would kind of like hijack my spleen um and I also think it's important for for splenic beings especially to know their cognition and maybe this isn't as important for people who have like a fully um a fully bodily channel connected to their spleen like a fully red or unconscious channel Mm. um, because that's going to mean that their body is really going to feel it but for me, the uh, my only channel that I have is half conscious, half unconscious. Um, so that makes it that also makes it harder. So for me, my splenic authority is very tied in with my feelings cognition. It's like, does something feel correct or not? And um, because the spleen is all about health, what I've really noticed for me is that when Uh, Like when I'm getting a yes to something, it feels almost like it feels like every cell in my body is vibrating in harmony with each other. Cool. And this kind of goes back to like the feelings cognition as well, because feelings cognition can tune into frequencies. But I feel like there's a sense of harmony in my body. It feels like okay, this brings a sense of vitality to me. This, this feels fresh. This feels alive. Versus when something is a no, it's like there's dissonance in every cell in my body. And I feel kind of like something is shrinking into me. Mm-hmm. And it's like if I tap into that potential, like if, if an opportunity is presented to me and I tap into that potential and it, and I feel into it and it just feels like bleak and gray and there's like no life, then I know that it's like, mm, spleen is telling me a no. And sometimes like when spleen, spleen will say no a lot more than it says yes. I mean, some people often will say that the spleen doesn't say yes. And I feel like mine does, Um, but it definitely says no more than it says yes. Like the no's are more clear. <laughs> that, that seems like life in general sometimes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's anyone with splenic authority, like I always tell them that it's like you need to come to find an acceptance about how spontaneous you are. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I use this example a lot with, with, clients and it's kind of a silly example but when you apply it to like bigger aspects of life I think it helps people to understand so like comparing someone who's emotional to someone who's splenic would be like if these two people were approached by a group of friends and the friends asked them like do you want to go to dinner in a movie with us on Friday the splenic authority person might 
get like an immediate yes to that or they might immediately know like okay yeah i i would like to do that with you on friday whereas the emotionally the emotional authority person would be like i need to sit with us for a few days right mm-hmm. so they would ride their wave about it um but they would have more information because the solar plexus has a lot of depth to it so they would get more information about that event as they ride their wave so they would wait a couple days and they'd be able to go back to that group of friends and be like you know what i really would love to go to dinner with you but i'm gonna have to say no to the movie like i'm just not Mm -hmm. feeling it Mm -hmm. whereas a spanic authority person might get like an immediate yes and then they'll go out to dinner with the with the group of friends and they'll have to say like you know let's say they're getting the checks or whatever and then their spleen is suddenly like "Mm, i'm not really getting the the impulse to go or the instinct, like my instincts are telling me not to go to the movie. So then it's like, okay, you have to confront in the moment that you no longer want to go to the movie. So it's like emotional Mm. clarity, emotional authority people will have more clarity up front. Whereas the splenic authority people, it's like moment to moment and being okay with, okay, things sometimes change spontaneously in the moment (laughs) when your body gives you new information. It's like constantly, it's like your body is constantly evaluating all of the different possibilities from all of the different timelines and like constantly redirecting you. That's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So just being aware in the moment and, and being okay if things change too, Mm -hmm. which I, I would imagine could be really hard if you're still inside of your conditioning. Yeah. Because especially with a, I mean, you have a wide open solar plexus. So how did that present for you when you were younger? Like, were you scared people would get mad at you if you switched last minute or? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because um, every single person in my immediate, in my immediate family is emotional authority. So my mom, (laughs) my dad, my stepmom and my stepdad and all four of my siblings are all emotionally defined. So I took in a lot of emotional conditioning and I didn't know what to do with it. And I spent a lot of my, especially teenage years, hyper analyzing and hyper fixating on like, why am I feeling the things that I'm feeling? Mm -hmm. And come to find out that I was just absorbing a lot. So I think that's why I started running in high school because it gave me an outlet to like, honestly, just leave the house whenever I wanted to. Cause I'd be like, I'm just going to go run. I'm just going to go for like a three mile run. See you later. You know, anytime that it was too much for me. But again, that was also a slippery slope because, you know, as we know, the open solar plexus, it's like not self beam is avoiding truth and confrontation. So Mm. I quite literally for years was running away from truth and confrontation and feelings. Like I was literally running away from feelings. Um, So it was kind of like a blessing and a curse because in a sense, that's really all I needed sometimes was to just be outside of the emotional energy. Mm -hmm. But then I also missed out on a lot of opportunities to learn how to confront and set boundaries. Um, And I don't even remember if this was the original question or not. Yeah, but yeah, that was my experience as a kid with that and and with my emotions. I just I felt like an alien in my family. Mm. Um, and you know the funny thing is that we're all conditioned to be what we're not in some regards. So 
I watch my mom and my stepdad even sometimes will make really impulsive decisions uh and then they'll have to like undo what they did you know because emotional authority people are often conditioned that oh if you wait you're gonna miss the opportunity Mm -hmm. you know and so Mm -hmm. i've i see that in them especially they're both opportunists as well they're both four six so i think for them they feel like if i don't say yes right away then i'm gonna miss it um so I feel like from watching them as a kid, I was like, I don't want to make impulsive decisions because I don't want to have to undo it later. Oh. Right. So then I became obsessed with like, I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to like really logically think about things before mm-hmm. I make a decision. Um, but we, but we know that's not how spleen works. <laughs> so <laughs> it's actually just, it's so funny. That's like, it's always my gut. It's always the first gut instinct that's what's right and i've seen that play out in my life uh over and over again it's so interesting yeah i mean especially to be surrounded by emotional authority people uh, that can be a lot both of my kids are emotional authority and Mm -hmm. my mom is my dad and brother are pure generators so a lot of energy yeah Um, luckily my kids are a projector and a manifester so when we're all together it's like super chill we we connect all nine centers yeah they're it's awesome and like we connect all nine centers so like there's some energy but it's all through connection because none of us have the actual sacral and so it's like super cool and then it's interesting having a a like a a sacral free oasis is is nice (laughs) yes it's been great and then I but I noticed the difference of things so much like when I'm around all my family Mm because my brother and his wife are generators their daughters are Manny Jen you know my dad's a generator and then my mom and my youngest are manifestors and I'm the projector and my oldest are projectors and so it's just like the generator people kind of take charge of everything Mm. (laughs) yeah I can see that I just kind of hive in the back. I've been able to forgive myself more for that lately too. Like knowing the designs, like I'm, I'm not going to try to keep up with you. Yeah. Especially as a mental projector too. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. (laughs) Um, But okay. I was just thinking about how you were talking about how you literally ran away from truth and confrontation. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And I think that's so funny. I know I had, I don't know, unpacking the solar plexus. I feel like unpacking the undefined solar plexus or the open one and the heart are two of the biggest ones Mm -hmm. to have undefined and to have to confront and figure out. Yeah. Yeah. The the Mm -hmm. heart is at the, you know, the heart is at the core of the not self. Yeah. So everything goes back to the heart. Like I find that even people who have a defined heart, it's always like their open center is still trying to prove its worth in in some ways like even if someone has let's say a defined heart but an undefined spleen Mm. it's like the spleen will be like if only i could like hold on to my relationships and if only i didn't ever have to let things go then i could prove that i'm worthy like Mm -hmm. even though they still even though they have the defined heart it's like everything kind of still goes back to like our mind proving its worth 
Absolutely. And it's always so fascinating to me how loud the not self voice is, mm-hmm. yep. regardless of what center it is. So it's like, like one chart I saw, I, sometimes I'll do one minute chart readings on TikTok mm-hmm. when I have the energy and it's just fun. And so one chart came in and it was defined identity center mm-hmm. with every single gate lit up. I think Whoa. only one or two channels, but like all of it. Right. But then no she way. had a wide open heart and uh, undefined solar plexus. And I think an undefined sacral as well. So I was like, okay, <laughs> this is what I love. Wow. We were talking about the nuances and human design and these yeah. like opposite things that happen. Like, this is so cool because and I did a video about it people seem to like it it's like okay well this is like the most identified identity center I've ever seen so Mm -hmm. you have a consistent sense of direction you have guidance inside of you but these centers that are undefined I guarantee yell a lot louder Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're they're like freaking out trying to get attention and she commented she's like yes oh my gosh how did you know that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah yeah oh my gosh it's so true and there's like so many nuances to it too like if you have an undefined heart let's say but you have like a gate that's pointing towards it so like if you had let's say 44 was pointing towards it Mm -hmm. coming off the spleen then gate 26 is going to be like a core wound for you it's going to be like if only i had the nerve if only i could sell myself Mm. then i could then i would be worthy Mm-hmm. you know then I would be worthy or then I would be successful it's like the not self is also trying to avoid our not self theme so it's like bitterness as a projector is our not self theme mm-hmm. but then also what we need to watch out for is our mind trying to make a decision to avoid bitterness right yes. so it's like the not self will will com- yeah. try to convince us like like in that example that I just gave, it's like, if I, if only I could just prove that I have the nerve and if I could learn how to sell myself well, and if I could portray myself in a certain way, then I would be able to prove that I'm worthy and I would never have to experience bitterness again. I, I wouldn't have to experience bitterness in this situation. You know, it's like, it's so yes. sneaky. Yeah. So that just made me think of the, the lion on um, The Wizard of Oz. With that song, if I only had the nerve. Or... If I only had, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the coward. The, oh, sorry. Now I'm thinking about Wizard of Oz. I um, actually played the cow. This is a really funny fun fact. I actually played the cowardly lion in a play when I was like 11. Really? <laughs> I I took uh, acting classes for like two years uh when I was like 11 and 12 you know just another one of my undefined g center experiments yes oh that's cute I didn't know that different identities right did you have fun with it yeah I don't think I learned very much because I'm like a terrible actor like I have no (laughs) poker face whatsoever yeah Um, but it was fun I remember liking it (laughs) I always thought it would be fun to be an actor that was one of the things I wanted to try I was too scared to really try much as a kid I also really wanted to be a cheerleader and a dancer never told anybody though really (laughs) that's one of those childhood stories that I had to unpack you know because I was like 
five or six and I asked my mom if I could be on the drill team because my brother was playing football and I saw the drill team it was like the 80s right so there's a whole bunch of shiny teal happening and like giant bangs and I was like I want to go to there and my mom said no and I don't remember exactly what she said or so she said no and then I made it mean though that I was bad for asking and like literally never asked again I think I was in my 30s before I told her that I always wanted to dance but I was too scared to ask (laughs) undefined solar plexus problems uh yeah well in my (laughs) I mean my mom's an emotional manifester with the 1222 oh yeah so yeah and (laughs) I avoided lots of confrontation over there (laughs) yeah I understand that's that's rough especially if she's you know not self and doesn't Mm. understand her impact I can imagine that'd be really hard yeah that's something that helped me as well to heal because I remember as a kid I just was convinced my mom didn't really like me Mm. and my mom I think I said something once like when I was a teenager and I was being very teenager-y and I'm like (laughs) you don't even like me or something and she freaked out and she's like I love you so much and mm. I was like but I don't feel it and so I realized as a projector especially a mental projector you know that recognition is so huge and with her being a manifester and very much in her not self when I was a kid like she would just leave all the time she'd just mm-hmm. go run errands and wouldn't tell me and I hated it so I'd just be home. So anyway, it just helped me identify like, okay, well, here's what was going on. Yeah. And helped me to heal that and not take it so personally. Yeah. I relate to that as well. Uh, my mom is also a projector. So I feel like there were a lot of things that she just intuitively knew That's about awesome. us just because of her ability to see things as a projector. Mm-hmm. But there were still a lot of things that she didn't quite understand, especially our um, our solar plexus dynamic and our splenic dynamic. Because if mm. she's defined solar plexus, I'm open. I'm defined spleen. She's open. So we're mm. kind of like we have like opposites there. Um, and I'm lucky when I first found human design, I did not know how my mom was going to take to it at all. But very early on, she kind of invited me in to explain, you know, parts of the design to her. And when I first explained to her the dynamic between the defined and the undefined solar plexus, she cried. Really? (laughs) Because it just like it it just clarified so much for both of us. Like, you know, when I was a teenager, there was so many times that she just she was like, let's just talk about how you're feeling. And I'm like. I can't and she would take it personally and it oh it just turns out it had nothing to do with that it was just that you know I was feeling things that were likely coming from her and I didn't know what what was going on (laughs) right (laughs) yes they're not your feelings to communicate Mm -hmm. so wow that's so beautiful she's also a wide split so probably what it was feeling I there's probably a lot of times that she was feeling this like angst to like be able to communicate and I 
I believe that I do give her throat definition in our composite chart. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've looked at that, but <laughs> she was probably like really seeking somebody else to like help her express emotions in that way. And like, mm-hmm. it was likely that I could feel that coming off of her, but because I'm like single definition, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, don't latch on to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yes. Yes. I feel that with the single definition. It's like, I remember the first time early on in my experiment and I was chatting with another human design person who split definition and she was explaining to me how it felt in her system. And I was so confused. Like this sounds codependent. Are you sure it's not just codependent? No, but I think that's so good for people to understand though, because I think there's a lot of qualities that are like often like misdiagnosed in people. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's one, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously you want to have healthy relationships where you're not emotionally manipulated or abused in any way. So I'm not talking about those things, but I'm talking about like, I think there's many instances where people might be told that they're codependent when really all they needed was that other person's aura to process information and that's it, you know, or, you know, maybe they needed to get out in public you know, in random people's auras and they didn't know that, you know, right. they taught that. Yeah, exactly. So I think it is so helpful to, because I feel like labels in certain ways can be really beneficial when you can specify something and put language to it, mm-hmm. but then it, it can also be really detrimental if you're using it as a box or if it's something that uh, makes you feel bad, like, mm-hmm you know, like being codependent, that comes with a whole baggage of stuff. And that can be a little overwhelming if you feel that way. And, but then it could, it could separate someone from what they actually need. It's like, well, yeah, they are kind of codependent, but it's, it's not like, because they, they run better, like their system actually wants that piece. I start to think about it as like clock, you know, the, the things inside the clock that turn mm-hmm. around and they've got to connect to each other mm-hmm. and it's like all the gears the gears yes thank mm-hmm. you and it's like they're just missing one little gear there and so they need that gear and then it helps turn things mm-hmm. more efficiently like okay yeah that's not a bad thing that's just that's just what happens and I see it in my kids my youngest is a triple split and mm-hmm. he's so social and he's so good with people like okay yeah and even that um like the channel of openness, the 1222 uh, that you said Mm -hmm. your mom had, that channel especially needs to be able to be melancholic and also know that, you know, it has the ability to express only when it's in the mood. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, selective mutism is associated with that channel. Uh, My brother has that channel and he had selective mutism as a kid. Uh, where his voice literally like shut down um when he experienced like he experienced like a strong and and kind of like my assessment of it anyway is that he had emotional trauma when my parents separated which then kind of created this whole disconnect between his emotions and his ability to express and somewhere along the way uh, he lost his ability to be able to speak. Wow. <laughs> it was really wild. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting to look at design through that lens as well. 
you know, and yeah. that can, e I feel like that can easily happen, especially in individual channels. Like they need to be able to have the ability to be melancholic because that's where their creative expression comes from. You know, mm -hmm. that's where their clarity comes from, you know, is being able to kind of withdraw and be in the melancholy and to emerge when they're ready. But that's another one where I feel like in society, we don't give a whole lot of space for that either. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't. It's like, get out and make it happen. And why are you being antisocial or different things? Yeah. I, I know that's something that helped me with my kids because my oldest emotional projector and he can be a little, he's also a two, four. And then I'm double checking because I'm pretty sure yeah, his, one of his emotional channels from his solar plexus is an individual. Mm -hmm. And so he, I see that where he, sometimes he's just quiet and he just wants to be in his room. And I mean, he's also 17. So yeah. <laughs> part of, you know, there's like part of me that's like, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Would you tell me if you're not okay? Like, do you need to talk about something? And he's like, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to let him have that space to work through his feelings so I have to hold myself back sometimes and not be too much of a mom <laughs> like just talk to me it'll be fine <laughs> let him learn how to navigate those waves yeah man I don't know how I would be as a mom you know it's like holding myself back from giving guidance when it's friends or even family is like one thing, but then when you're a mom and you're a projector and you see things, it's like, how do you not? It's like, how do you not butt in? I feel like that would be really hard. That's a good point. I haven't really thought of that. You know, what's weird though, is like from the time I was pregnant with my oldest, I just had this feeling well, it was this moment I was watching ER. You remember that show? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, which nobody should watch when they're pregnant. And because <laughs> something traumatic happened. And so I'm like crying. And, but it was this moment where I remember um, something happened to a baby, right? And so mm -hmm. I just thought, I'm going to let this kid be who they need to be and not project my stuff mm -hmm. onto this kid. Mm -hmm. And so that has always been my goal. And plus, I, I mean, I was only 22 when I became a mom. And I already knew that I, I was so far from myself, from my true self. And I just didn't know who I was. And I didn't yeah. want my kid to feel that way. I wanted my kid to be supported in who they were. And by the time they leave my house, I want them to be able to, have, to know themselves as deeply as any 18-year-old can mm -hmm. and to step out in the world with, with that security and that knowledge and to know that they can always come back and ask questions or get, like that I'll always be here as a guide. Um, wow. So that's been that's my beautiful. mission from day yeah. one. Like I want them to know who they are and to love who they are. But I mean, there are times like even just yesterday, I was took my youngest to get his haircut and I always make them speak for themselves at the haircut. And I heard him talking to the lady and then all of a sudden I just interjected with something and I stopped myself. I was like, I know he can finish that sentence. It's fine. <laughs> oh my God, that's such a projector mom thing. My mom does that so much too. 
<laughs> Sorry, my bad. Just a moment. It's fine. He can talk. <laughs> I, yeah, I find myself doing that a lot, especially with my older one, because it takes him a beat to answer questions. Mm -hmm. I'm just because I mean, he's a flipping genius and I, he's got all the definition and he's got the 2343. So mm -hmm. I can tell he's just like processing something for mm -hmm. a hot minute. And you're worried that it's going to be taken the wrong way by somebody? A little bit. Yeah. And then also, I think, I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I, like being in the space, I'm connected to somebody, something, and I'm feeling anxious or I, I'm not exactly sure, but I'll find myself like literally, I've literally bit my tongue before. Like just wait Whoa. and let him talk. <laughs> That's so, crazy. Yeah. It's a process. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> but that's a good question. And it's been good watching him, especially my older one, uh, just come more into himself and be able to speak for himself. Because he's, he's such a two fours, two four projector, and he's got that channel and it's his, it's his conscious son on earth too. Mm -hmm and oh yeah the writing lacrosse of explanation yes yes and he's like such ever since he was a kid he's loved science mm -hmm. and even now he's in pre-ap physics like casually making a hundred in it just like no big deal casual yeah like last year he made a hundred in pre-ap chemistry and next year he's going to take ap chemistry and so i'm watching him like that's where the two line is and he literally yeah he's like i mean i don't know it's just whatever i'm like do you want to study science in college he's like Freaking yeah. two lines man oh my god <laughs> I, know. I know sometimes i just want to shake them i'm like Ugh. i only it's have one so two crazy. line in my whole chart so i'm a little i have some i get jealous yes same same i remember going through all my gates i'm like how many two lines can i do i get some two line no no got some three line energy <laughs> yeah but, i think my only two line is the 54 which already came up the ambition it's like i have a lot of natural oh, ambition so that makes a lot of sense for me yes do i necessarily know where to fuel that ambition all the time no <laughs> <laughs> That's well part of the fun part of yes the i guess Oh, okay. I do have two two lines. Yay. The 52 and then the 11, which the 11 is part of my channel. Um, but that's it. And they're both on the subconscious side. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So another one, so my kid's dad is a two, four generator, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, I just have to tell you, it's such an example of a two line. Uh, and so he always loved to fly. And when we graduated college, he went into the Air Force and into the um, pilot training. Mm -hmm. And literally, it was so funny because he would just listen and learn like all the other guys. I was friends with a bunch of the wives mm -hmm. and they would we would we would hang out during the day because there is literally nowhere for us to go. It's a little border town. So we would just hang out and they would tell me that their husbands would come home and they would study for hours. I'm like, mine doesn't do that. And then come to find out they come in. <laughs> One of my friends said, 
man, my husband is so mad at yours. I'm like, why? He's like, because he just apparently in class, he'll just sit there. He doesn't take notes. Everybody else is taking notes, like freaking out. He doesn't take notes. He just sits and listens. He's got the highest score of everybody at one Probably point. Probably passive brain as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And one of the instructors told him, because they graded on certain things with different pilot things. He's like, this is the highest or the most gap between first and second place we've ever seen and he was first place right he won all the awards what he he like left the awards in the back seat of his car for months he's like whatever and (laughs) and every other guy in the class is like dying like how do I do this and he's like And, and so fast forward years later where last year our kids trying out for an AU team and I'm watching them and there's a few coaches there's like 50 kids right and then there's a couple coaches watching but they're just like half watching and I as a coach I get it like they they already know half these kids anyway it didn't bother me but he was all stressed out my kid's dad and he looks he's like how do they even know who's good or not they're not even watching like well they already know half the kids like they've been coaching basketball for 20 years they can pick up on stuff mm-hmm. And he's like, but I don't get it. Like, there's just so much. And I looked at him and said, this from the guy who like casually graduated pilot training number one. And he goes, yeah, but that's only learning one thing. And he was serious. Like, I'm sorry, learning to fly a jet in the Air Force is just learning one thing? No, sir. No, I've seen that with two lines a lot where they underestimate their, because they're so natural at something, Mm-hmm. They underestimate their ability and yes. think like, oh, it just must not be that hard. Yeah. So then when they see somebody else's like skill or talent, they're like, how, how do they do that? It's like, well, that's their natural thing. It's just not your right. natural thing, you know? Yeah. It was so fascinating. And I just feel like, like right in that moment, I just laughed. I'm like, that's the two line talking. Now yep. I, I get the two line. <laughs> that's why it's the hermit. Cause it's just kind of cut off from the rest of the world. Sometimes when it comes to evaluating the level of, of skill or naturalness to something else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's like oblivious to it. It blows my mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. Those, those two lines. So I do, I get the most jealous. Uh, and I always get jealous of any kind of bodily authority too, any kind of inner authority. Like, mm-hmm. man, life would be so easy if I was a two-poor generator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think that about generators a lot though, but they have, own, they have their own struggles. I, I understand. Yeah, everybody does. Everybody does. I've had to learn that. I remember I was talking to, um, I guess it was Sam. I had her do my chart reading once and I said something about that, like joking. And then she started pointing out a few things in my chart. She's like, I wish I had these things. Yeah. Like, I okay. wish I had Ajna definition. Really? Ajna. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, we were talking about the heart and the solar plexus earlier mm-hmm. and the interesting thing about my solar plexus being totally open is a lot of times I don't even have awareness of when I'm being affected by emotions. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a naivete, <laughs> an innocence about it. Whereas my Ajna, I really have struggled because my 
unconscious earth so part of my incarnation cross mm-hmm. 817 is hanging on the ajna mm-hmm. so i feel such a strong pull to have my own opinions and be certain about them but the thing is is that even though i have strong opinions i'm not here to be certain about them mm-hmm. because i don't have a de- i don't have a defined ajna and especially spending so much of my life in academia like being you know getting my doctorate and everything like i spent so much energy pretending to be certain Mm -hmm. or maybe i didn't even know i was pretending but like just trying really really hard to be certain about things because i thought that if if i wasn't certain and if i didn't have strong opinions and if i didn't know what it was that i believed in then I wouldn't be smart. I wouldn't be intelligent. I wouldn't make it in the world, blah, blah, blah. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of Ajna conditioning stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I also dated a mental projector for three years. And like, I remember just watching how like certain things were fairly effortless for him and just thinking like, oh, I wish I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. We always do that with we could do that with probably anybody's design. Anybody's for sure. Like the comparison, because mm-hmm. really I've gotten to this place where I really love my design and I think it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Uh, mostly because it's affirming everything I've ever actually wanted. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, as the pieces start to fall together, it's like, oh, that's why. Like, yes. that's why I have this definition. Okay. It's like, nothing is wasted it's yes all as it's supposed to be it's so beautiful how it all comes together and I mean it it helped me because I would always overthink stuff and I'd be so insecure about my decisions and I get it now because I didn't have consistent access to bodily guidance Mm -hmm. and so of course my Ajna is going on overdrive because it's the only motor type thing I have and that's part of why I got in CrossFit because it helped mm-hmm. move the energy. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you were literally running from truth yeah. and confrontation. I was like trying yeah. to physically work out the, the thoughts. <laughs> if I just work out hard enough, I'll just release everybody else's energy that's living yes. my body rent free. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's fascinating how it helped me <laughs> because when you're doing certain Olympic lifts, like you can't overthink it. You just got to pick up the bar and go. Because if you overthink, like you're going to hurt yourself. And so it helped me understand how much I was really thinking about everything and not actually doing things and how much that was keeping me stuck. So that was a really cool thing that I got from it. It's funny because I see my mom do it. She has a defined Ajna and she started CrossFit a year ago, a year and a half ago at 70 years old. Wow. So, yeah. And I would coach her through lifts and she would just stop and I'm like you got to stop thinking mom you just got to do stop thinking and she would just stare at me but I don't remember why I got on that tangent so (laughs) um, it's just it's just so fascinating how it all works together like you were saying and you can look into the definition and start to understand yourself and and just have so much more forgiveness for yourself and I feel like with everybody I see, especially when I do a reading, I'll ask a few questions and it's so fascinating because they'll start talking 
their in their answers and then I'll get them talking at the beginning of the session and I, I'm just like you're literally speaking your design out loud like you, I know you don't know it yet but you're speaking it out loud that's how you know that's how you know that it's starting to take over I I love when people naturally speak in keynotes yes you know yes it's so funny it's so beautiful. And I, if I have access to it, like I'll hear somebody say something. Um, so it's gotten to the point now where I'm talking to people or I'm watching TV and it's almost like I can see their charts start to form in front of my eyes. Does that ever happen yeah. to you? <laughs> yep. All the time. <laughs> yeah. And then if I have access, I'll go look it up. It's like, ah, I knew you had this gate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny. Um, you know, right now it's like all the news, the whole thing that happened at the Oscars last night. Oh my gosh. And somebody sent me Will Smith's chart. Yeah. And um, there's a couple different, there's some discrepancies in his birth time. So like he may or may not have the channel of initiation, <laughs> which would be <laughs> hilarious, like the shock. Right. Um, but what grabbed me actually was that he's left angle cross of healing. So left angle cross of healing has the 56 or sorry, the 46, the 46 and the 20 or now I'm mixing it up, but it's half, basically it's half of the gates that are in the incarnation cross of the vessel of love oh. and in Will Smith's acceptance speech slash they're calling it his his apology speech. <laughs> um, he was talking about being a vessel of love. And I'm like, he literally has like, he does, he's not the cross of a vessel of love, but he has half of those gates. And then I think yeah. he also had uh, gate 15 as well. So I think like the only uh, vessel of love gate he was missing was gate 10. I'm like, that isn't, that is fascinating. Oh you know, yeah, like, that makes so much sense. So it's the 46 and 25, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, what's cool is my brother is left angle cross of healing. My sister is right angle cross of the vessel of love. And then mm -hmm. I'm cross of service. So my brother is like the bridge between my sister and I because left angle cross of healing has the 58 and the 52, mm -hmm. which are in the cross of service. And then he also has the 46 and the 25, which are in the vessel of love. So like, oh, wow. he's, he's the That's so cool. little bridge between us. You know, so what's fun. crazy. My brother and his wife both have the cross of healing. Whoa. Yeah. I got so excited when I saw that. And of course they're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, guys, you don't understand. Isn't this is not so funny. Like to see the patterns. My dad has, um, my dad's an emotional generator who like, naturally lives his designs so well it's so funny my he's dad just like, too he's yes. just living his best like response responding life like he doesn't mm -hmm. initiate for shit he just like yeah. literally my dad um the last time i saw him i had like gone to the grocery store and spleen took me right to the kombucha which i hadn't had in like forever Mm -hmm. And so I like got a couple different flavors of kombucha and then I brought it over to where um, my dad was staying and he's like, what is that? 
I'm like, it's kombucha. And he was like, he had like 10,000 questions, right? Because he's, he's a five one. So he's got to okay. like, he's got to know all the things. So he's asking me all these questions about kombucha. And then of course he has to try it. And he's like, I've been wanting to quit soda, but I haven't had anything to respond to. Like literally that's what he, he doesn't even know about human design, but he literally I love was it. like, I don't have anything else to respond to, to replace it with. So he's like, but now I'm going to make this healthy swap. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, so my dad is a split definition, emotional generator. And 42, gate 42 bridges his split. And both my mom and stepmom are right angle cross of the Maya, which has gate 42 in it. And gate 42 is my mom's conscious son. And I'm just like, oh, how funny. <laughs> my dad has a type. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I I love that. I love watching human design play out, even for the people who aren't into it or don't understand it. Yeah. Another thing too, like I'm just remembering because I recently was talking to my dad, and he used to be in this in this band. <laughs> he was like, that was one of his hobbies. Was he was uh -huh. the lead singer of this like this band where they sang a bunch of like 70s and 80s rock classic rock songs oh my gosh it's amazing and he recently like had this and his conscious son is 6.5 so friction mm. and he's a five so he's like projected upon so there was literally like this friction within the band where they were having equipment malfunctions they were having timing issues and they literally projected onto my dad that all the the friction was coming from him and wow. I'm so proud of him because also, you know, he's living his best, like, undefined heart life. Like, he didn't try to prove. He didn't try to, like, defend himself. He's just, like, he's, like, I don't feel like all of this is on me. I feel like there are things I can take accountability for. But also, like, there's other things that we need to look at. And then ultimately at the end of all of that, it was, like, they kind of just all mutually decided that my dad was going to go his separate ways. My dad's like, you know, it's funny. Like I felt relief after that. And I'm like, yeah, like you were being projected upon. They weren't yeah. appreciating you. It was no longer satisfying for you. Yeah. And like, as he was describing this too, he was just like, ugh, like he was like letting out all this energy by sighing. And I'm like, yeah, this was like a natural ending for you. <laughs> That's so funny. I know we've talked about this before, but my dad is also a five one generator, just like living so aligned without mm -hmm. ever having to study. And it's living so his weird. Best life. Yes. <laughs> yes. He just it's amazing. I'm like, dude, I had to do so much unpacking. I I had to go get a whole college degree on communication and <laughs> to figure all this stuff out. You're just over here just living your life all natural. I'm like, how how? but yeah. it's fun. It's fun watching it. Yeah. I mean, I think my dad, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's all been easy for him. I think there was struggle, mm -hmm. like, especially, um, just like when my parents got divorced and everything, I think he's learned a lot. And what's interesting to witness is so he, him and my mom are both desire motivation. Mm. My mom lives her motivation very naturally which is rare it's very rare to see what someone like living their 
motivation naturally, but then to not necessarily be living their strategy and authority naturally. Yeah. So my mom is very much like in her desire motivation of like having a stance about things, having, you know, very much like asserting what it is she wants, what it is she desires, what it is she wants in the world specifically. Whereas my dad, um, you know, my dad has been, I think in a lot of his life in his innocence transference where he's like, I don't want to take a stance. I don't want to have an agenda. Like, I just want to like kind of be free and like let other people handle stuff. And, um, one thing that he told me once when like him and I were healing a bunch of stuff was he said that, um, one of his biggest regrets was, um, not taking more of a stance with my mom on like how he wanted us to be raised and, um, not really asserting what it is that he desired when it came to us and like custody, custody of us as they were separating. And I thought that was a really big moment for him because it was like him stepping into that desire. Mm. Whereas it's kind of interesting where it's like my mom's desire, uh, my mom being in her correct motivation, almost like put him in transference because he felt um, like he couldn't be in his de- in his desire motivation because it was clashing with hers. Yeah. So. Yeah. That is so interesting. Just yet another thing that's like helped me heal my relationship with my parents. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> that's what, that's what fascinates me about this system. Like for me specifically, and it sounds like for you, it, it like gives me a visual to understand what is actually happening to like see where the energy is actually going and to understand why people are acting the way they are and and then it just relieves so many stories and so much judgment yeah and it's really beautiful I know some people get weird about it someone asked me if it was like a cult like well anything can be a cult if you give it enough power that's how I feel about it anyway yeah yeah oh gosh this could be like another whole rabbit hole yes we could go down um (laughs) have you ever listened to the podcast called a little bit culty no okay it's so interesting like I highly recommend it okay um I actually started watching started listening to it because I wanted to like understand what cults were so that when people ask is human design a cult like I can give a more educated answer (laughs) but I feel like the biggest thing about cults is that like you get into a position where you can't leave Mm. so that's what I always come back to is like human design is here for you when you're ready for it or when Mm -hmm. you feel like this is like I guess yeah when you feel like you're ready for it um but it's also something that you're free to walk away from at any time yes You know what I mean? Like there's in everything in life, there's always going to be, you know, like sunk costs to things like, you know, you could argue, well, I invested so much time and money in this. So I feel like I have to stay. And it's like, yes, but that's true of everything in life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and and to me, that's an undefined, that's a collective undefined spleen wound is like learning to let things go, learning to let it go. Okay. Learning to let your time and energy that you've spent already dedicated to something let it go and yeah I mean ultimately at the end of the day there's no one that's like 
keeping you in your human design experiment but you exactly yeah that makes so much sense you can walk away from it at any time or you can even you know there's people who just want to know kind of the surface level well to my one line it feels <laughs> like like they just want to know the gates and the the centers and yeah some people like go all into it with all the variables and the color tone and base and and there's uh, ways to get the information for free too yeah that's another thing yeah <laughs> there is <laughs> yeah there's there's copious amounts of ways to get it for free like I've had so many resources sent to me and mm -hmm. like things that have been passed around and then there's so many podcasts and things on Instagram now and YouTube mm -hmm. there's like there's so much where you can learn so much about it before you even decide if if it's right for you or not yeah I'm glad people are starting to talk about the variables a little more because that mm -hmm. felt at, at the beginning of my experiment for me I remember being really confused and nobody was really talking about it and it felt a little like it was being gatekept yeah uh, I but, felt the same way and now it, it's funny because like now I kind of understand why people were doing that because mm -hmm. I understand the kind of the brevity of the information and how yeah. harmful it could be if you teach it in a certain way. Um, because like with a lot of the variable information, it can be easily made out to be this dogmatic thing especially determination oh yes you know whereas it it's like if you're mentally trying to do your determination um that can be very harmful versus just like literally witnessing your body moving towards your determination is a very different mm. thing you know like watching my body move towards a closed taste determination has been a wild fucking trip <laughs> okay you can we unpack I mean? that a little bit because yeah because again like you're talking about your body moving and not the mental but I you know I've got the mental and I'm open taste and mm -hmm. I have such an interesting relationship with my determination because I've always yeah. had this I mean for lack of a better term aversion to food like I just mm -hmm. don't care I wish I didn't have to eat because I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to make the decision all the time mm -hmm. and it's just like another I eat because it keeps me alive. <laughs> so what's your relationship? I'm curious, what's your relationship to sound, to music and, and having sound around you? Oh. I mean, I know your valleys too. So that kind of makes it interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I've always gone more towards podcasts. I'll have music on sometimes. It's interesting. There's times when I'm, um, when I was a kid, I remember I would listen to music while I was doing homework, but it was like something about it would like help me focus. It was, it was weird. Um, but I've been experimenting with that too. Cause I know you said something about that cause it's the transference. Mm -hmm. And so I've just been exploring that a bit. And I realize I do, or I have kind of masked a lot with sound, I don't sit in quiet quite as much as my body really wants me to. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've been playing with the past couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. 
Yeah, that can be something too with like taste determination. It's feeling like you don't need to eat because mm -hmm. you're wanting to be filled up by sound. Mm -hmm. That's so right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for a while I was like, I don't think I did that. But then I heard someone say, yeah, like another way this can show up is being obsessed with sound healing. <laughs> and I remember like a couple years ago, I bought all these like crystal singing bowls. They were expensive. Yes. And I, was, I was convinced that this was going to be like the magical healing modality for me. And then I barely use them. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think for me being closed taste, I have a, I think a, an interesting experience with this one, just because I'm very, very fortunate that my mom fed me very much in alignment with my determination. Mm. When I was a kid, I was extremely picky. I wanted to eat the same things every day and my mom didn't force it. She didn't, she mm. didn't try to change me. Yeah. Um, I think that as I got older, uh, especially like teenage years and into college, it was more of a peer pressure kind of a thing where it was like, here, try this food and we're going to go to these new restaurants. So we're going to do this. So I got conditioning more that way, but at least in my early, uh, my early development, which is when it's really crucial, I was eating very much in alignment with my determination. So I think that uh, I, I'm very fortunate because not very many people are raised in alignment with their determination, mm -hmm. um, but I was. So I think for me, uh, it hasn't taken me probably nearly as long to get back into my natural groove with it because... I had that foundation. Um, but yeah, I remember when I first learned that I was trying to mentally determine like, okay, what is it that I'm going to eat every day? And I just made myself like, I made myself go crazy. I made myself go borderline orthorexic with, with what I was eating. And so when I finally kind of just like surrendered and was like, I'm just going to put this to the side for a while and not even think about it. Mm -hmm. Then it was like, over the course of like the next six, six months after that, I literally watched my body like start craving certain foods and only wanting like mostly the same foods every day for like a couple months at a time. Mm -hmm. And then especially when like the seasons would change or when Nick and I would change a physical location or environment, that's when like my taste for things would change. It was so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, that gives me some stuff to ponder on and to explore because I've started, I'll just ask my body because like being a mental projector with the left, like an active brain, I realized I have to eat because I can tell my system just slows down. Uh-huh, yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, so in the past I would just like, I don't know, I'll survive, it'll be fine. But now I'll say, okay, body, what do you want to eat? And it, it really doesn't talk to me. So I don't know if I've just conditioned it so much at this point, it's just gonna take a while. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, I have a weird relationship with food. 
and figuring it out. <laughs> there yeah. is, I mean, I have to admit, I think there's some body dysmorphia thing happening there because um, it's almost like, it's so weird. Like I have felt fat for my entire adulthood. Mm. Makes no sense. It just really doesn't. And I look back and I remember, I'll look back at pictures, but I remember feeling so fat in this picture. And now I can look back like, I looked amazing. It's so weird. And even like right now in this moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm giant. And it's so interesting. I don't know where that comes from. So I think honestly, that's part of it. It's like if I eat too much, then I'll get even bigger or I need to eat the right things to take, to make sure that everything happens how it's supposed to or whatever. It's so weird. Yeah. There's a lot of conditioning around food, especially for women. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been, we've been like fed, no pun intended, all these narratives about food and what's healthy and how much we should eat. And there's all these different ideas behind what's healthiest or not. And I think with any active brain person, regardless of what their specific determination is, I heard Sam say this once and I, I have found it to be very true in what I've observed in, in others who are active is like in the beginning, you have to like continue to tell yourself that like eating anything is better than eating nothing. Yeah. Like it's like literally just beginning to nourish yourself again because your brain truly does need so many more calories than like someone like me who's a who's a passive brain mm -hmm. but even me even me as a passive brain that's been part of my journey is like re-nourishing myself and getting my metabolism back because oh, i yeah. i wrecked my metabolism for so many years um well it started when I was working at the hospital and I would have like three or four cups of coffee on an empty stomach and then not eat until 2 p.m. And I thought that was like cute. It's like, haha, I forgot to eat. It's like, no, it's not cute. <laughs> and then I did like all these crazy like vegan cleanses and like mm -hmm. um, I was plant-based for five years. And yeah, like I've had that. That was a huge part of it too was like, letting myself just get the nourishment that I needed mm -hmm. before anything else, before determination, before, you know, all the other things that determine what is healthy or not for us. Yeah, <laughs> that totally makes sense. Cause you're right. We could put ourselves in this huge box. If we're looking at determination, it's like, oh, well, I'm whatever determination. And so it says I'm supposed to eat this way. And like mm -hmm. I see so many people limiting themselves because of that. But really it's like, use it as a guideline and then start observing. Listen to your body mm -hmm. and just start observing. How do you feel? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And don't like, don't take anything. That's what I love too. Like everybody that I follow with human design, they're like, don't just take this and run with it. Like experiment with it, feel it out. If it works for you, great. If if you hate this, then leave it. Like, don't act like you have to do this thing because a chart told you that you have to. Yeah, and that was the other thing I really got from listening to that um, that podcast about the cults. Was I was like, 
I could see how human design could very easily have culty elements where mm -hmm. like there are certain individuals who like can act kind of culty about it. But at the end of the day, human design is almost like the ultimate anti-cult <laughs> because it's like you are your own authority. Yes. And even you know? raw, I think that's part of it. People are like, well, we all gather around raw and it's like, well, yes, because he got the download, but he even said, don't take my word for it. Don't believe a word I say. Mm -hmm. I'm just sharing this information I got. Yep. <laughs> and he's not even here anymore. So it's not like we can. I know. <laughs> it's not like we're like following him from the grave. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. Okay. And the only reason we listen to him, it's like people I think miss the point that like the reason we listen to Ra is because what he is telling us was like not human like the the voice was not human mm -hmm. so he's not like giving us his opinion necessarily he's just like he's just the messenger i think and yeah. he made that very clear is like i don't want to be a prophet or a guru or anything i'm just the messenger i'm just the first student um and just like had, he had so much humility about it um which I think a lot of people misconstrue because he had such a weird sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Gata Shock really came through a lot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Gata Shock and the 4323. Yes. <laughs> and the pure individualness of it all. Yes, yes. It's so, it's so fascinating once you understand his mechanics too and listen to him talk and and I'll explain that too to new people because they'll comment on a TikTok or something and they're like, I'm the heretic martyr? Like, what the heck? Like, okay, let's talk about the wording here. Yeah. <sighs> Which let's is- talk about oh. what this actually means. Yes. And okay. So I feel like, um, I'm, I feel like we should go ahead and wrap it up. Otherwise I'm going to just continue talking for like five hours. And <laughs> True. <laughs> True. I can hear my voice start to, like, you can probably hear the tone and the frequency of my voice start to shift. Like, I can hear the raspiness mm -hmm. start in my voice, and it's always right around, like, the hour and a half mark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, same. And I can feel, it's like the energy comes out of my Ajna, and it's just like, like, shutting down. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I have have like this switch and even my friends pointed out like if we're hanging out at night or something like I can't I just can't stay up past 8 30 and it's like I'll be fine I'm like okay everything's good and then just not and I feel like yeah. that's just what happens it's like okay I'm out of words <laughs> um yeah. but okay I just have to say thank you again so much for all of this amazing juicy wisdom and for spending the time with me chatting about this and I hope that uh, we can record more things in the future and yeah, spread the love so and spread the information so, <laughs> I'm so down. this was fun it was fun and I feel like there's 500 other things we can talk I about I know yeah so, it was so fun thank you so much for having me and yeah thank you so anytime. much absolutely and I love that we both got to be in our environments <laughs> um, okay for the win 
Oh, and I want to say real quick before we go, like if anybody is wanting to find you or get a reading with you, like what kind of services do you do and where can we find you? Yeah, so the place I'm most active right now is Instagram. You can find find me just at joyfully human. No periods or underscores anything or anything like that, just joyfully human. And I do mostly foundational sessions. So for people who've, you know, never had a reading before, I kind of introduce them to the basics. Um, but I also am just open to invitations. <laughs> and so if there's anything specific that you recognize about me for my content and you would like to reach out to me and, and be like, hey, I would love to have a session with you and talk about blank, you know, then I can tell you, yes, I, I would love to do that. That sounds great. Or, you know, no, I feel like that's probably not my expertise, but I can refer you to somebody else in the network. So I'm happy mm -hmm. to do that. And I am kind of in a learning phase right now. And I guess, contemplating what my offers will be in the future. So uh, I will possibly be changing what I'm offering soon. So okay, when, <laughs> when I know more, I will share more. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. When Spleen says this is it, then you'll externalize it. When the and... right invitations come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Yay. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye.